this morning we hear the words of Micah. And in the beginning, the first words, I envision this courtroom. As you walk in, you can see the wood paneling. This courtroom filled with people. And then you realize that as the bailiff who is leading you, holding you by the arm, leads you to your spot and sits you in your seat. And you sit there before the Lord God Almighty. And then you hear the words of Micah. He says, listen to what the Lord has to say. Bring your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord is bringing a case against His people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. And we begin to think, how have we got to this place? How have we come to this moment? How has our our unfaithfulness got us here? What is driving us to rebellion? To rebel against the things that God has given us, the way that He has given us to live and to live our own way. I ask this question because this is the question that God begins with. He says, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. In this, I hear God's frustration with His people. I hear His frustration. God has given us a way to live. The Scriptures are filled with it. God explaining to us the way that we are to live. Not to make life miserable for us, but to make life better for us. To make us holy people. To make us people who who live in a way that's good for us, but also that it's good for others, that we share with others. How do we take this good thing that God meant for us, this way to make us holy, how do we take this and then rebel from it? To go our own direction, to do the things that we think we ought to do. To do the things that serve us above everything else. How do we get to this place? The Lord asked this question because the people of Israel, they were struggling. They were in rebellion to God. As you read through the prophecies or the, the prophetic uh, the works of Micah, you see that throughout this book, in many places, he's talking to the leaders of Israel. He says, listen to what the Lord says. You leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. You see, the people at that time, the leaders at that time, they were corrupt. They were ruthless. Micah says they'd wake up in the morning and scheme ways to take people's land from them the ways that they fed themselves and their families, take their inheritance to add it to their pile of land they already had. That the rich, the powerful, they would crush the poor and the weak, take what they had just so they could live life with more indulgence, more extravagance. These leaders were like predators on the people of God. They preyed on God's people, the people they were meant to lead the people they were meant to serve, they prayed on them. And so Micah says, listen to what the Lord says, you, you leaders of Jacob, you house of, or you rulers of the house of Israel. Do you not know what justice is? You who hate good and who love evil. Micah says, you, you tear off the skin of my people and the bones from their flesh. You eat the flesh of my people and you strip off their skin. 
You break their bones into pieces. And you chop them up like meat for the pan and like flesh for the pot. This is a gruesome image. Yet it's getting at the ways that these people, the people in power, were feeding off of God's people, the weak. Those that they were meant to care for. Those they had a responsibility to help. They were abusing their power. They thought their power was for their own ends. To serve themselves and themselves alone. And they took and they took and they took and they abused the people. They abused their brothers and sisters, those who were also God's people. They abused them. They devoured them. If not literally, at the very least, they devoured their resources. They devoured their land, the ways that they had to feed themselves. They devoured them. As I hear these words from Micah, I am convicted again. I am convicted about the system, the structure that I'm a part of, being a part, living in Canada and the ways that we contribute by the things that we buy, by the politicians that we support. How do the things, how do the politicians that we support, are they contributing to the kingdom of God? Are their policies in conjunction with the kingdom or are they selfish? Are they serving other needs? Are they serving greed and corruption? What about the businesses that we support with the things that we buy? Are they honorable? Are they just? Do they pay fair prices or do they undercut people? I struggle. I think about like my shirt, the shirt that I'm wearing. The shirt was made in China. I don't know who made the shirt. I don't know if it was made by a woman who works hard and earns a fair wage and then is able to use this money to help her children go to school. Or maybe it's made by a woman who has to work in a factory long hours because her husband works in the field and they don't have enough money. They can barely feed their family. They have just enough money to buy rice each day. Their kids have no hope of school or of life any different. Or worse, maybe this shirt that I'm wearing was made by a child I don't know. A child who has been sold because her family couldn't afford to feed her. So she's been sold and now she works day in, day out in a factory sewing clothes. I'm convicted by these words of Micah. We are people of power. Every one of us here are people of power. Christ, have mercy. Lord God, be gracious to us. But here's the thing. When we start asking, how do we get to this place? It's not because God has been unfaithful. It's not because God has somehow not come through for us. We see it throughout history. Time and time again, God comes through for us. God comes through for his people. Micah talks about the exodus. When the, God, when the Lord God led you out of the land of slavery, Israel, when you were the slaves, when you were the ones working in the sweatshop, God made you free. God brought you out. It's this great story of God's redemption of his people. This moment that has become a, a, a watershed moment in the history of Israel. That today, thousands of years later, Jewish people still celebrate Passover, celebrating that God has brought them out of slavery. 
Or what about Balak and Balaam? When Balak called Balaam to come and to curse the people of Israel. And God kept blessing Israel. What Balak meant for evil. Balaam, God worked through Balaam and he changed it for good. He blessed the people of Israel. What about the, the journey from Shittim to Gigal? And the people of Israel were there on the other side of the Jordan. And they needed to cross over into their land. And the Levites carrying the ark, they stepped into the Jordan. And the way, as I said, they, they piled up. And the water below them ran down. And the people of Israel, they walked across on dry land. This miraculous thing that God did. Providing a way for His people into their new land. Into the land of promise. God has been at work doing amazing things, miraculous things throughout history. But the most amazing thing, the most amazing thing for us is still His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has come. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and to, and to grab onto and hold onto. But He emptied Himself. He became nothing taking on the very nature of a servant. God became a servant and became a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient unto death, even death on a cross, that we might have life. This God in heaven came. God in heaven, God the Son, came and he dwelled among us. His name, they call him Emmanuel, which means God lives with us. God did this because of His love. In Hebrew, this word for love or this type of love is called hesed. This steadfast, this faithful love of God, this love of God that keeps enduring, enduring, that remains faithful time in and time out. God has been faithful. We see the extent of God's love on the cross. We see the extent that God is willing to go to to save us. But on the cross, God is doing much more than this. He's also redeeming us, taking our place, hanging there in our place. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. By His wounds, we have been healed. God has redeemed us and He has restored us on the cross. But He also has one great victory, victory over death. Victory over Satan. Victory over evil. And then He rose again. It wasn't enough that He died for us, but then He rose again. Promising us or fulfilling our hope. He is the new Adam. The firstborn of the new creation. Reminding us that when we die, that is not the end for us. That is the beginning of life. Beginning of our eternity with God. And then He rose. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father where He sits, reigning over the nations, King of kings and Lord of lords. God has been at work in our history. Throughout history, God has been at work saving His people. God has been faithful. There's no question about it. And yet we still ask. We still find ourselves asking What shall I do? 
What shall I give? What shall I offer? As I hear this question, I am more and more troubled by it. Maybe because I know what lies behind myself asking that question. We complicate faith. We complicate faith by asking, Lord, what shall I give? What should I do? When I think really so often what we're saying is, Lord, how can I do something without it costing me anything? How can I do something without it costing me something? How can I be faithful to you and keep everything else that I really like? How can I follow you but yet go on living my life the way I want to? That's hard to do. We make life, we make faith complicated by trying to do this. We ask God, what should I give? The answer is everything. Everything. Our entire life. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Not 10% of your heart, not 10% of your strength, everything. Love the Lord your God with everything. Devote your life to Him. Devote everything you have to God. This is scary. I know. This is dangerous. I know. It's worth it. I'm convinced. Micah began mocking the people of Israel. Asking their questions for them. Shall I offer burnt offerings? The year-old calves? Is the Lord pleased with a thousand rams? With ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God doesn't want our stuff. What does God need with a thousand rams? What does God need with ten thousand rivers of oil? What does God need with these things? He doesn't want our stuff. God doesn't, more than following all these requirements, God wants you. God desires you. He wants you to know your identity, who you really are. You are children of God. This last week, I've been working through this passage in Isaiah. Isaiah says, listen to the Lord your God. And God says, I created you. I formed you, Israel. I have redeemed you. Fear not, because I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. We are God's children. And he goes on to say, you are precious and honored in my sight because I love you. To hear those words again from God, God our Father. I know some of you maybe had hard fathers, fathers that weren't very loving. But this Father in heaven, this Father loves you. Loves you like crazy. You are his children. 
And He desires that we would have this new heart. Not that we would just go through the motions and fulfill all the requirements and check all the boxes and give the right stuff. He desires our heart, that our heart would be changed. And that out of a changed heart, our lives would become different. That we would stop trying to tidy things up on the outside. Stop trying to look the part to fake it to fake our way until we make it. But that we'd be changed from the inside. At a heart level, we would change and become different people. God doesn't need your stuff. God desires you. You are what He's after. And so we struggle with this question, what shall I give? The answer is Everything all of your faithfulness, all of your devotion. God desires you. But the truth is, He has shown us how to live. You ask, you know, what does that look like? How do I do that? He has shown us. He has shown you, all of humanity, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly. To live fairly. To be fair with people. To be known in our community as someone who's fair to deal with. Someone you can trust to give you an honest deal. And actually, I'd say to even go beyond that, to be someone who's generous. The people in our community would know you. Not, I mean, it's good, it's, it's good to be fair, but actually more than that, they would know you to be generous. That you give better than a fair deal. I believe this is what God is calling us. This is what He's calling us to. But also that we would stand up for justice. Not just that we would be just, but that we would also stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. For those who are weak. For people who have been made slaves. Maybe they've been trafficked since they were the time they were in their early teens. A 13-year-old girl, trafficked, turned into a prostitute. We are meant to stand up for people like that. For children whose parents have died of AIDS in Africa because of nothing that they have done. And yet they are the ones who live alone, who struggle to eat a few times a week, an older brother taking care of his younger siblings. We are called to stand up for them, to stand up for justice. We are called to be just and to speak up. And we're also called to love mercy. Funny in Hebrew, it actually says, we are called to love love. To love hesed, this steadfast love of God. To love people who are difficult to love. To be loving to people. I mean, we, we, it's easier for us to love our family, and it's difficult for us to love people outside of our family. And it's really hard to love people who are hard, who are very different than us. It's hard for us to love people who are addicted. It's hard for us to love people who are broken, who their minds, maybe they have mental illness. It's hard for us to love people like that. It's hard for us to love people who are homeless. As I walk or as I drive uh, down Baker Street, I see people who are different than me. And God forgive me, it is hard sometimes for me. I find myself being judgmental. People who just look different than me. They've got dreads and different clothes backpacks. You can tell, like, by the way, even if they see me, we look like we're in different worlds. God has called me to be loving toward them. 
God has called us to be loving towards people, especially people who are different, and we are tempted to judge. And he's called us to walk humbly, to walk humbly with our God. God requires us of us to walk humbly. And what this means is it means to walk faithfully, to follow God, but also to walk humbly and that we aren't putting ourselves above others. That we aren't looking at people and judging them. They're wrong. They've got it all wrong. Those are people are worth throwing away. We are called to walk humbly, to realize because of what Jesus is, because of what he's done in our life, and because of our own brokenness since the fall, that we too are broken people. That we're not better than them. By no means. It's just that we understand that God has been gracious to us and has begun changing our lives. This is what it means to walk humbly. God has shown you what he requires, what is good and what he desires of you. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. I pray that you hear God's Spirit speaking to you this morning. I pray that you hear God's challenging you. These words of Micah are hard. They are not easy for us to hear. But I pray that you let God's Spirit work. If there are places in your life where you still struggle to be faithful, when you still struggle not to just do your own thing, but to do what God has called you, I pray that you would let the Spirit convict you. Let the Spirit work in you. Let the Spirit lead you towards repentance. Lord God, please forgive me. Then let the Spirit lead you into redemption. That you would rest in this place, God's grace and His love, and then out of that you would live life more full. Remember what God has done, that God has been faithful. He brought His people out of Egypt, out of slavery. When Balak wanted to, to curse the people of God, he sent Balaam to bless them. When the people needed to get from Shatim to Gagal, God led them through the waters. He stopped the Jordan and led people through. And then in Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who came, who lived and died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God, that we might have life. God has done these amazing things. And he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Amen.